All I know is we're going to, our vision is exactly the same. And I want us to pursue the way of Jesus as we do it. How we do that, I have zero clue. You got to help me. Like, we can't, I can't do this on my own. Our staff can't do it on our, like, we've got a, we've got a dialogue about what this looks like in daily life. Hello, this is Robbie. Thank you for joining me today for Let the Sparks Fly. I'm being joined today by Josh Hollowell. Josh is a pastor and church planner in Muncie, Indiana, and we have a conversation for you today as we discuss what it looks like to both pastor and lead a church during our cultural moment. Our cultural moment is very confusing as we have a pandemic reality. We are caught up in a political election cycle. There's racial tension and civil unrest. There's just a lot of things going on. And so I'm thankful that we get to have a conversation about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to really specifically follow him in light of the mission and the vision that he has called our churches to. So thank you for joining us. Here's the conversation. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Well, just thanks for taking the time out of your day to uh, share what's going on in, in your life and in your church. So you're the pastor and church planner at City Hope Fellowship in Muncie, Indiana. Yes. So, uh, but uh, you're not from Indiana, is that correct? Correct. I am not from Indiana. I got my uh, got my Pittsburgh Steelers mug right here. So I'm, I'm from the Pittsburgh area respect so where where in western pennsylvania are you from uh cranberry township is where i grew up um so it's a suburb just outside of pittsburgh about 20 20 25 minutes north of pittsburgh and just for the record for anyone listening we do not know each other from pittsburgh we know each other because we're pca presbyterian pastors okay. and so i like i grew up between uh, newcastle and butler uh, okay 22 so huh. uh um and you went to seneca valley Yep. Um, high school. So uh, my fun fact about Seneca Valley is I took my SATs three times there. Oh, all uh, right. I took my SATs four times. Um, <laughs> awful scores each time, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so you, you grew up in Western PA uh, and how did you become a pastor and a church planner? Yeah. So I grew up there in Western PA. I grew up as a part of a a small Church of the Brethren church there um, in Cranberry, like tiny. Um, So like when my family left um, to move to Indiana, there was like 15 people attending the church. Um, That church is still in existence. Uh, The pastor uh, who was our pastor there passed away a few years ago, but he married uh, me uh, to my wife and um, that church actually still financially supports our church plant, which is super cool. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, they, they, they're still around. Um, so I grew up there, uh, in church, but I would say that I wasn't a believer. Um, didn't really understand the gospel. Nothing really clicked for me about, uh, like Christianity to me was about like looking good for others and hiding your sin. Um, like 
you know, God existed, sin was real, but like there was nothing about grace in my heart or forgiveness from Jesus or relationship with Jesus or a desire for relationship with Jesus. Um, so I grew up there, but my older brother went to Ball State University, which is in Muncie um, for architecture. And he and I were both super interested in architecture. And Ball State is kind of this perfect spot between uh, cost of program and quality of program. Um, anything better than Ball State, you're paying significantly more money um, in terms of architecture. And so he went there. Um, it was the only school I didn't want to go to. Um, naturally, <laughs> it was the only school I applied to. Um, so I, uh, yeah, the Lord orchestrated a ton of things in the midst of this. So I ended up at Ball State and uh, sophomore year of college, met uh, who is now my wife, Whitney, uh, in the architecture program. And we started dating, and she was involved in crew uh, on campus there at Ball State. Um, and so I, you know, it was like the natural thing to do, go check out this Christian ministry thing, because I had done that before. I knew what that was. Um, but there was something really unique and different about the men in particular that were a part of this movement. I'd never had friendships like these guys had, hmm. like from day one, it was very clear. Um and so I like was super interested in that. And so there was a men's retreat, went to this men's retreat, a senior, uh, a guy named Drew Stevenson, who's a pastor now in Minneapolis. Um, but he was a senior at the time. He shared kind of his testimony of coming to faith in Christ. And I pulled him aside afterwards and confessed every sin I thought I had ever committed and, uh, you know, pouring my heart out for him. And, th and that's really where I believe I trusted Christ for the first hmm. time. Um, awesome. So that was uh, like October of my sophomore year of college. And then um, God kind of radically started working in my heart really quick. So I went to a winter conference and heard about missions and ended up in East Asia that summer. Um, so I, I still don't know. I've told folks uh, within crew leadership this before too, but I, like, I have no idea how they let me go on a summer project. <laughs> I was just super immature. And uh, yeah, I, I, so I had never shared my faith one-on-one -on -one with another person until I got to a close country in Asia where I shared my faith for the first time one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so pretty wild, but that like totally changes your life. Um, and so when I was there, like the guy that I shared the gospel with the most that summer, uh, was part of a people group that had very few, I think at the time, I think they had 12 known believers in the world. Um, like a pretty small people group, but a pretty intense people group that, you know, this would cost him something if he mm -hmm. accepted Christ. Um, and so that really changes, like, is this worth it? Mm -hmm. Like, is right. Jesus worth it for this guy? Um, and yeah, it just massively transformed my heart for ministry. So I came back my junior year, started leading that Bible study on campus, saw guys come to know Jesus and I was hooked. It was like, I want to mm -hmm. do this the rest of my life, um, and introduce people to Jesus. So we, uh, my wife and I got married between our junior and senior year of college, uh, and so we finished out the architecture program, married, it was a great last year. It was awesome. And then, uh, we joined staff with crew. And so we were on staff with crew for five years, uh, all at ball state, uh, two of those years as interns and then two years raising support. And then one year back on campus. And really the whole time we were there, I was involved, uh, in, uh, the Greek ministry. Uh, I was not in a fraternity, but they kind of asked me to try it. Um, try pursuing Greek guys. And it was awesome. Got to see some really sweet things happen with guys coming to know Jesus. And 
really transforming uh, at least one of the fraternity houses quite a bit. Um, but that whole time too, I, we were involved in a PCA church, um, kind of starting our senior year on, um, mm-hmm. just outside of town, uh, in the, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Yorktown. It's like a suburb of Muncie. Um, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with, uh, th- this is kind of just a, a side note, but Muncie, <laughs> if you want to know a little bit about Muncie, if you watch Parks and Rec, uh, <laughs> Muncie is Parks and Rec, uh, like, Actually, the very original season of Parks and Rec, the intro map is a map of Muncie flipped upside down and like mirrored or whatever. Um, I'll go back. I'll go back and watch the watch season one. I mean, I've been a part of a lot of public meetings where I just am waiting for someone to stand up and say ham and mayonnaise, ham and mayonnaise, (laughs) like. there's a lot of things about it. So, so, but the, but the church, uh, that we were a part of is kind of in the Eagleton area, um, of, uh, <laughs> like, uh, Yorktown's a little bit like Eagleton. Um, uh, they're, mm. they're not quite as pretentious. So, um, but, um, so we were attending there and I became an elder there while we were raising support. Um, and so, and that really was the start of moving towards church planting. We had never really been a part, either of us had been a part of a church that we felt like, oh my goodness, like, like we had experienced the gospel in a pretty profound way on campus and we hadn't seen that in a church context. And so seeing that in a church context was like, Oh my, I didn't know that this was a thing. Like I just thought Mm -hmm. campus ministry is where this is at. Um, And so becoming an elder um, really started that process of thinking about church planting in new life. The church that we were part of had always wanted to plant church. They were a church plant. Um, And so they had always wanted to plant church. And so, we would just, as a session, we'd just be talking all the time about um, church planting. And, you know, there was a list of guys that we had all sent to seminary. So like all of my best friends who were all involved in this campus ministry, all of us went in on December, a bunch of those guys went on to seminary and I stayed. Um, and all these guys were listed as potential church planters and none of them were really interested in church planting. Um, and my name was always on the list. And I was like, guys, I'm interested, but like my timeline's probably much further down the road. Like Mm -hmm. my plan was to be on staff for 10 years, um, slowly do seminary and then maybe plan a church. Um, and they just decided, Hey, we want to pursue this. We think you're the guy. So we want you to leave staff with crew, uh, join our staff and, uh, finish your, do a church planning apprenticeship and finish your seminary studies and plan a church. Um, after months of, kind of thinking through that praying and um a lot of tears particularly from my wife she loves staff <laughs> uh, but uh walking through that process we decided that that's what we wanted to do so i joined in uh 27 no 20 what when did i join staff 2014 2014 mm-hmm. i left staff with crew and joined staff at new life um, pursued a master's of biblical studies from RTS, uh, global. So I did all my studies online, um, and finished that and started the process of church planting. So we started to gather a core group from within the church that would plant. Um, we actually didn't even have a location when we first started. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. set. We were going to Muncie. Um, there's another PCA church in Muncie too. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, to be in Indiana in the PCA and have three PCA churches within right. a 15 minute drive is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but we're all so different and pursuing different things that we were like, I mean, and there's tons of lost folks here, like, and that's what, what our aim was. So that, that kind of, we, we, we pursued that. Awesome. And lovely and beautiful and really uh, just meshes with so many things that are near and dear to Ironworks heart, which is beautiful. So thank you for sharing. And so even as you were saying like, yeah, like, Hey, we're in Philadelphia and Philadelphia has five different presbyteries at the PCA. Um, so like, we're just, it's, it's a different world, um, ecclesiastically for sure. But what you kind of, were just kind of saying about having three churches, like in Muncie, like, well, in Westchester, it's like really two, uh, Mm -hmm. some one other, but what's so beautiful about it is that every church is unique. Every church has its own personality. Um, and so tell me about city hope like like what's your mission your vision your values like what is it that you are trying to do uh, through your own church plan yeah so uh, mission of city hope is we are seeking to be a diverse people saved by jesus centered on jesus and sent by jesus to extend the hope and fellowship of god to our city Uh, i've got that pretty well memorized at this point (laughs) every day or every sunday um so yeah so from the very beginning um when I, when Whitney and I went to church planner assessment, um, one of the tasks in assessment is really to, to think through a potential church plant. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and some what, what target site did you get for your, so we were in, uh, uh, it was in Arkansas. It was where Arkansas it is, I think. So, um, or University of Arkansas. I can't remember the name of the town. Um, uh, we, we had Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay. Sorry. So ours uh, was, it was actually a very similar city to Muncie. So college town, awesome. a little bit bigger than Muncie, but college town. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, it'd be the first PCA church in this place. And so we're talking and one of the guys um, in our group, his name's Parker James. Um, he's down in, uh, uh, Athens, Georgia. And he, like, they were already, they had a vision and a heart for, uh, racial reconciliation and multi-ethnic ministry. And, and, and they're doing it and they're doing it they, and they're doing it today. They're incredible. They're incredible. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of shared that and Whitney and I would both were just like kind of hit with a ton of bricks of like, this is Muncie. This is what Muncie needs. Like mm-hmm. Muncie is, um, so Muncie historically right there's a famous sociological study called the middletown studies so if you if you're in a sociology 101 class they'll, they'll probably reference the middletown studies um so it's this famous sociologist from europe studying um what is middle america mm-hmm. well the town that or the city that they used is muncie like muncie is the middletown studies so if there is like a uh what does middle america what is you know what does America look like? Like Muncie is a representation of that in many mm-hmm. ways. And so even, you, you know, racially, we're pretty much on par with the, the whole of the country. Um, mm-hmm. So we're about uh, 10, 12% black, um, 80% white, and then, you know, a smaller percentages of, of, of a couple other um, Hispanic and then um, Asian American populations, um, particularly uh, Asian populations, mostly related to the university. Um, but we've got a university, We've got uh, historic um, issues of class and divisions mm-hmm. of poor and rich. Um, and, and, and then, too, in the racial divide, um, 
you know, we're, we're an incredibly segregated city. So 90% mm -hmm. of African-Americans live in two neighborhoods. Uh, mm -hmm. in town. And so we just kind of knew, like, there's all of these divisions that exist in Muncie that we know about and, and even between the town and the gown, right. Between university yep. and, and the city. And so all of those things exist. And the gospel says something of that. It says mm -hmm. something to that. And so we right. said, what does it look like for us to pursue us church for the whole city mm -hmm. uh, that, that would represent kind of all these different parts of our city um, and that we would all kind of come together under the banner of Jesus. And so that really started a process for us of thinking through what it, what would it look like to be a, a multi-ethnic or multicultural church? What would it look like for us to pursue intentionally the diversity of our city um, and to care about issues of race and justice and, and all of those things? And so um, there's a couple of churches in town uh, who are uh, pursuing multi-ethnic ministry. Um, there's really a, uh, just, a, just a three of us, um, as far as I know, uh, there's, there's folks that have a heart for it for sure. Right, uh, right. Really three that are intentionally pursuing it. And so we, uh, are trying to, to work with them in the midst of that, but, but just trying to start to build relationships and figure out what we were going to do. And so we kind of landed on moving downtown. Um, and, uh, there's some, like in most cities, right. There's some geographical and man-made divides, you know, you mm -hmm. cross the river, and you're in a different part of town. Totally mm -hmm. different. We, we moved from the north side of town to downtown. Um, it, we're a five-minute drive from our old house. Mm -hmm. But it was so important for us as a family. Like, we knew, I can't be pastor here and live there. Right. Like, I've got to move here. Right. Uh, right. And it's just five minutes. And then if you go, you know, just south of the tracks, you're in a totally different part of town, right? A totally different part of town. And so there's all these different neighborhood parts of town. And so we just decided, Hey, we want to get down here. We want to start to meet people and we want to do ministry um, that meets the needs of people. We want to enter into the situations of poverty and we want to enter into conversations on race. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so there's a ton <laughs> Uh, to how that has played out and some of the challenges of that. But one of the biggest challenges I would say in the midst of that is much of our diversity as a church has always been centered on the university. Mm. Uh, yeah. And uh, so the challenge for us is there's a large section of Muncie, which is poorer, uh, um, less, uh, less higher, uh, no higher education white folks. And a lot of our, um, a lot of the black folks that attend our church are uh, college students or educated, uh, college educated folks. And so it's a very, that, that, that's a hard divide to, to bridge. Right. So, so what you're saying is that like, like <laughs> there's, there's both the racial divisions and class divisions. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of the things that we excel in being Presbyterians is the middle class. Uh, to those who are educated. Um, and so like, even as you're talking about Muncie, like to bring Westchester, like yeah. it, there's parallels in so many different ways. Uh, there, it, like Westchester is the county seat for Chester County. Chester County in Pennsylvania is the most affluent county in Pennsylvania. But uh, when we think about the university, it, which has uh, over 15,000 students in all their programs, but it is the most economical, most affordable program in 
the, the state system within the state. So what that means is there's just this interesting ju- juxtaposition of individuals who come to university primarily for financial reasons. And it's also a commuter school. So we're getting people from all over the area. And so, but like, this is like, and the, the, there's this beautiful history of Chester County um, as it relates to race, race relations. And like, if I walk from my house to the church, I'm passing by uh, homes that were likely places of the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. or there's this one very specific uh, house where the uh, an escaped slave uh, was arrested by uh, the was arrested and was being brought before the judge and the judge's wife helped her sneak out the bathroom window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, there's a rich history here, but like at the same time, it's like the, the history of segregation is like where this is Philly. Uh, it runs very deep here. Yeah. Um, and it's like, uh, there's a, that's a, perhaps that's a, a conversations for other days, well, but we're on the same page. Yeah, no, and history is huge, right? So Muncie's history is probably far worse when it comes to racial relations, right? So we uh, have uh, historical roots in um, headquarters for KKK in Indiana. Um, there's some some pretty big. I mean pretty much every town in Indiana claims like there's some KKK uh, headquarters were here and things like that. But there's also, there's a historic chapel um, in uh, the Whiteley neighborhood, which is a historic African-American neighborhood just down the street from us. Um, Mm -hmm. And right next to probably one of the biggest, most historic black churches in town. Um, Mm -hmm. Awesome place. Um, Right next to them is a chapel in which, um, two men who were lynched in Marion, about 45 minutes north of here, right, right. Uh, northwest of here. Um, their bodies were, were rescued and brought to there uh, and held out at Schaefer Chapel um, to, to give them proper burial. Mm. And so there's, there's a, a historic pain in this mm-hmm. place. And like most places in the north, right, it's like the conversation of race is like well, we're not in the South, and so it's like we're we're they, we're not those racists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like it's 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 the next conversation right below the surface. You scratch a little bit, and it's right there, right. Um, and it's the same conversation. It's the overt versus uh, covert. Uh, yeah, Ooh. explicit versus implicit. Uh, so, hey, kind of like changing subjects because, like, we can keep, yeah. <laughs> uh, we can keep going there. But yeah, yeah, uh, one of the, like and like you know this, but but one of the the reasons why we, I want to have this conversation with you is like um, church planner, similar context, uh, a, a lot of similar values and, and definitely cheering you on from a distance, but, and like, but we're all, and we're in this pandemic moment. Um, just how has your church life been disrupted and interrupted and, by COVID? Yeah. Um, a ton. Um, it's really hard um i was telling somebody recently like church planting is by far the hardest thing i've ever done uh well second hardest parenting is the hardest thing i was about to say i'm like yeah parenting Parenting (laughs) uh but but now it's it feels 
impossible in some ways, right? Like, I think, so some of the challenge is when you are, so we're, so we are just into the beginnings of year three as a church. Um, we'll, we'll celebrate our official launch, uh, year three, uh, in September, but we soft launched in July, three years ago. So we're like, so we are established enough to where there are like pastoral care issues that are starting to arise. Right. When you first start, like everyone's so excited about the mission that they like, you know, ignore some of their <laughs> spiritual needs. And then the longer you get into it, uh, you know, I was talking with, uh, I think I was talking with Ted Powers about this and I think he described it as, um, you're trying to build a field hospital on, on the battlefront. That and, sounds like Ted. And that's like, that's totally what it is. You're like, Hey, how do I care for these people? But now there's way more pastoral care because everyone is like having their own challenges with mental health issues and, uh, fear and, uh, loss of work or, uh, just loss of relationships, right? We're not made to be disembodied in our relationships and yet we're kind of needing to be right. Um, and so that's affecting lots of people. And then at the same time, we are still church planting, meaning our existence requires that we meet new people right? Uh, just to exist. Yep. And also, by the way, right, that's our mission, right? To meet new people. <laughs> Jesus. But Connect how do you meet people, people in a pandemic? Like, how, how do you meet new people? Uh, everyone's tired of, of uh, using the internet to like, as a substitute for relationships. So we're all scrolling through social media, but we're not really engaging meaningfully. Um, we're using it to avoid thinking about the difficulty of life. Um, and so it's hard to engage meaningfully in that platform. Uh, you can't gather with folks. You can't go meet new people. You can't like, so it just feels like, you know, you've taken away everything that are the, the, the bread and butter tools of church planting, uh, which yep. is literally just meeting people and being nice to people. Um, yep. Uh, and so that's, that's what has felt most difficult. Uh, and then on top of that, we have very intentionally pursued and, and part of it's my personality, but also just the, the things that we're trying to do. We've always said from the beginning, our mission and vision isn't accomplished if we have a diverse group of people on Sunday morning, but what do our dinner tables look like? Like, what do we, what, what do our lives look like now? That is the thing we say, you know, and it, uh, <laughs> we're not there yet by any stretch. But now if you're pursuing that intentionally and you're saying like the way in which we care for each other, the way in which we connect with each other is an organic kind of discipleship. Well, when all that's gone, what do you do? <laughs> like, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you create life together mm -hmm. when, when your life together is intentionally organic, uh, sort of grassroots ish, uh, mm -hmm. and trying to intentionally be diverse around those things, you know? So mm -hmm. like trying to build evangelism strategies that are like, Hey, host a barbecue in your backyard and invite people from the church and your neighbors, right? You can't do that. So like, right. What do you do? Um, right. so that has really disrupted a ton. So early on we decided we're tired. Uh, also, also we, we meet in a, we used to meet in a school, we moved to a kind of community center space. 
Um, but we're still like set up and tear down completely each week. And so we were just tired as a church and then pandemic hit. So we just kind of shut everything down and did virtual and we just kind of stripped everything away, Mm -hmm. which I think was the right move at the time. And yet now we're feeling the like, Hey, this isn't going away. Right. What do we do now? Because we can't just keep doing nothing. Right. Well, and there's, oh man, you're hitting so many chords. (laughs) And and like, and like, there's that. I really want to come back to that. Like you just said, do nothing, but are we really doing nothing? Nothing. And I, I, I need to pause. (laughs) so so like you mentioned like doing online and you were talking about like what does community life look like um you just said like hey there's like there's this feeling of you're not doing not doing anything and like how we talk about it at ironworks like you mentioned your your mission vision like our mission like following the way of jesus for to go to westchester and but we often talk about uh welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. Like he, Christ has welcomed us into his house, into his dinner, and he invites us to his dinner table. So like, and this is the, the thing just to, you said this, and so it's really just coming back to it, but church plants exist because of the community that is created. Yep. And then all of a sudden that community is disrupted and interrupted um, for one reason or another. Um, and like, but like very specifically and like going back to like, like just to let you know what we did as Ironworks, like we made the call to suspend in-person worship before the state asked us to. Right. So um, like we were under a lockdown and shelter in place from uh, March 15th all the way to into like a, after Memorial Day to June 7th. Um, that, that was our shelter in place moment. And so like we're t- like, so when you talk about doing online uh, live stream, like Zoom fatigue is real. It's just like, guys, I'm just like one to one gentleman told me that one day I had like five hours of Zoom. Like, and, and during, during this time, um, back in June, like, hey, I served on review of Presbytery Records, RPR. I had... <laughs> two full days of, of zoom calls That's and crazy. I was just exhausted. I was exhausted. And I'm like, I, this is, I hate this. Yeah. So, um, like the online fatigue's real, um, our rhythms are disrupted. Uh, and yet our mission as the sent people of God to love our neighbors, to give the good news, to share the good news, to, uh, pursue justice. These things are unchanged. We are still the sent people of God. And like, so but I, I really wanted to, like the, the thing that just jumped out at me is by, is, was really the last thing they said. was like, like we can't just do nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is where perhaps um, in a lot of ways uh, the, for, I, I'm not sure what to call it, but let me just call it the Americanization, the mm-hmm. professionalization of ministry. Yeah. And I like, and I'm going to make, make an assumption that both of us 
would flee from like, <laughs> if someone would say like, Hey, you have a professionalized uh, ministry. We would cringe at that. Yes. absolutely. But, but in so many ways, it's like yeah. this p- pandemic crisis is revealing some very h- hard things for us to come to terms with. And so we feel like, hey, we're not doing anything. Right. Uh, no, totally. You're right. It's like it exposes the way in which my heart feels glad when I can say, look at what we did. Right. Not look at who we are. And that is just like, man, those are. Can we just sit with that for a moment? <laughs> <laughs> look yeah. at what we did as opposed to look at who we are. Yeah. Right. Like, and like, so, man, it's huge. And that's one of the things I think that like, there are some things that is, I think this pandemic has disrupted so much and will disrupt further. You know, I mean, yes. I think there are folks who like are committed to our churches who aren't going to show up for a while because of, real concern and trying to love neighbor and all those things, um, which I totally get and and respect. I also think that there are non-Christians who aren't going to be keen to check out any sort of large gathering of any kind for a while. People are going to be skittish about checking out large gatherings. Just like, I mean, after 9-11, right? People didn't fly for years. Yep. Yep. And... There could be folks who feel like, oh, you guys met during that pandemic. Even if we're safe, even if we're doing everything right and be like, mm, I don't want to go to the church. And so what it looks like for us to witness long term is going to be so much more rooted in who we are right. than in the activities we're doing. And, and there's so many different things that like spring to mind as you're talking about that uh truly um like so for example like um you have a university community we have a university community the the vast majority of university students like so the, our university is doing virtual for for okay. this semester um however students are still moving to the area and the truth is they they need jesus they do People need to go to them. We are sent to them. So what's that look like? Um, and like I, I've, I hear stories of people actually coming to faith during a pandemic, during this pandemic, because someone shared a live stream link on social media. Yeah. And in some ways, evangelism has never been easier. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just like, hey, mom, dad, like, my, like I know you're anxious. My pastor's preaching on anxiety. Or, hey, guys, like, I know you're not sure what to think about Black Lives Matter, but my, here's, a, here's a sermon on justice, uh, like, from the, heart, from the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, <laughs> um, creating a, a multinational, multi-transnational yeah. uh, family. Um, so, in some ways, uh, sharing the gospel has uh, never been easier. But then, at the same time, I hear this where it's like, I don't just want to share a YouTube link on social media. I like, I, and it's just like, well, that's fatigue, right? Like, and like you hear the fatigue right there where it's just like, what's like, I want to feel like we're 
really doing something. And that's one of those other pastoral challenges yeah. uh, where that like needs to be voiced. Like you said it, <laughs> like I said, it. and like, and even like as a church plan, like something that else that you kind of pointed out is that like Ironworks, like our launch anniversary, our three years is November. Um, so same age, yeah. um, go toddlers. Um, (laughs) and but like one of those other things is that it's just like pastoral care is is real and it doesn't just have to be mental health it doesn't just have to it's not necessarily felt in terms of financial or marital it's just could just be that existential longing for significance that the mission of god actually gives us um so and so like well, and I, if I can interject here too, please. like one of the things you said there about evangelism never being easier in some ways, I, I agree. And I think the challenge uh-huh. of it is that one of the things that this is exposing, which I think will be good long-term is that our priorities and our, um, our way of life, our rhythms of life were jacked up <laughs> pandemic. And now they're all gone. And so the problem of fatigue and of those are all real, but some of them are because we can't run to our drug of choice to get the fix that we needed. Or if I put it this way, like, or take Netflix. I've seen every show on Netflix. Right, and so now, okay, now I'm gonna jump to Disney Plus. Wait, I've watched, I've watched Mandalorian. I don't need to watch Snow White. And it's like, oh, Hulu. It's like then, but at some point, you get tired of your drug of choice, right? Exactly. And so either you're going to like ramp it up, or you're actually just need to be like, like, hey, like you're tired of your drug, and like, hey, there's uh, um, Seth Haynes uh, wrote this book. He's a writer. Wrote this book called The Art of Waking Up, and Mm -hmm. it's new probably one of the best books, but it's just like, he thinks about our spiritual awakening um, and compares it to his own story as an addict. Mm. And it's just like, because we're, we're, if we're using the language drugs of choice, it's like we, if we are not addicted, we are clearly overly attached. And this pandemic has clearly disrupted our daily liturgies in these ways. Yeah, absolutely. So I interrupted you. So keep going. No, no. One of the things we did is, Um, we, we were in the midst of teaching, I was teaching through Exodus, um, which was awesome. I loved it. Uh, but we were in the middle of the law and, uh, we were like, you know, we're, I don't know that we want to live stream all this like law. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so we switched it to learning from Jesus in a time of chaos. And we just finished that, um, this last Sunday and we're starting the book of Acts this Sunday to kind of start to figure out, Hey, you know, how, how did the early church deal with upheaval and life change and all this stuff as we were walking through this sermon series on, on just teachings of Jesus. And so we did some beatitudes, we did some other stuff. And one of the things I said often, cause I, I got tons of feedback from folks of like, and this is really good. This is really powerful. Um, like connecting. And I was like, it's only because I'm only preaching to me. I mean, quite literally, I was preaching to my iPhone, but also like actually what I was dealing with was like, I don't know that I'm very good at following Jesus. Like I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. And I can tell you lots about him, but I'm not sure I'm good at following his way. Like that, that my life 
is defined by the way his life was defined. And this has disrupted all of that where I can't, I can't mask it anymore. I have to figure out, am I committed to the way of Jesus and doing life his way and not just the way that the world does things um, and just kind of putting some Christian makeup on it. Um, and so that, like, I don't have any answers to that yet. Like I have just been kind of on a, a personal soul searching journey throughout this process and inviting our church to be a part of that too. Just saying like, guys, we, we are, are very similar to the conversations we had pre-launch. Like we got to think through everything's new. We're Presbyterians and even our worship <laughs> is on the table, right? Yep. Presentations yes. never said worship services on the table. Yes. Discuss what it looks like. But now we're like literally everything. <laughs> All I know is we're going to, our vision is exactly the same. And I want us to pursue the way of Jesus as we do it. How we do that. I have zero clue. You got to help me. Like, yes, we can't, I can't do this on my own. Our staff can't do it on our, like, we've got a, we've got a dialogue about what this looks like in daily life. Um, so, so I have no answers um, yes. and it's a little bit terrifying, but also like exciting. I mean, it feels like the, the same roller coaster of planting a church or in the early stages where there are some days where you're like, this is the greatest job I've ever had. And there are other <laughs> days, where do I sign up to be a plumber? Like, how do I get out of that <laughs> right now? Yeah. Like, oh man, you're hitting, uh, again, you're hitting so many things. Like, and even something you just said, like, Hey, um, where can I sign up to be a plumber? There's a, just to point this out, I'm a, uh, there's a tweet by uh, one writer, and he basically said that, like, in two years, we'll see a mass exodus from pastoral ministry. Yeah. And he's like, and his tweet, like, he, he doesn't have a, he, he, like, he has a, a much bigger following than I do <laughs> on Twitter, but it went viral. And, like, and then it's just like I, and then he goes on and circles back to it. It's like I did not realize how much of a chord this just hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so pastors are tired and exhausted. But like, going back to what you're actually saying is that we are in a rebuilding moment. That our church plant, like ours too, uh, is replant. It needs is being replanted. Yeah. Um, and I'm unashamedly using that language, like to share just statistics and statistics are, do not accurately reveal a full heart engagement. It's just one piece of the puzzle. Um, and so about pre COVID we had 85 people in worship and now we're around 25. Yeah. And that's not counting our live streams. Right. Right. And, but going back to what you were saying is that how do you have that communication when you're not seeing each other yeah. and this is part of our toolbox and like we're we are presbyterian pastors um we work on like our pastoral care is defined by word and sacrament and yep. in the context of in-person worship yep that's what we are trained in all of a sudden it's just like what in the world and so and so here we are and in the grand scheme of things, like I actually like looking back to our history to see how the church has responded to pandemics. Mm-hmm. And so we see in the Spanish flu of uh, 1918 that, yes, churches were asked to not meet. 
And but how people responded would would actually be in an equivalent way to the live streams that we're doing. Where but sermons would be printed, and you would have to come by the church office to get them. But there's at least a face point, a mm-hmm. some con- yes. visible uh, recognition. But at the same time. Um, at least in DC, the church was churches were only closed for I think it was DC were only closed for like five weeks, right? Not twelve. Right. So, so it's it's there are similarities and dissimilarities yeah. at the same time. Um, well, and I think too, right? There is a ton of pastoral care that happens in just being connected with people in small conversations, like the yes. folks that are not in crisis mode. who are mature, who are walking with Jesus, they're doing all those things. They, with a side conversation after service, one little touch point where, hey, you know, the spirit helps me because my brain doesn't work. And I remember, you know, praying for your son or daughter in this way or whatever, like those little touch points communicate what a hour long session, counseling session with you know, a person in crisis communicates. Those are all gone. Mm-hmm. So those like side conversations of things, or, uh, you know, I'm sure you know this, right? When you communicate something, uh, you have to communicate it like 50 times for anyone to know that something is happening. Um, and the way in which that is most done is those side conversations that happen after church or, Mm -hmm. you know, a quick conversation here. Hey, did you remember this thing? Whatever it is, none of that is happening now. And so people feel disconnected. People feel, and fundamentally we might be doing the same thing or even communicating more. And yet people feel it less because there isn't that other piece of where I'm seeing you. And I remember those things and, uh, and all that stuff. Right. I mean, there's even the challenge of the fact of like, we may be communicating it more, but then like, there's also the, um, like, or are you just there or are you just, or you don't even know if you're communicating. Right. <laughs> because like, what are the metrics? Like yeah. previously our metrics were, Hey, you're showing up. Yeah. That's yeah. how I know I successfully communicated. That's how I know you saw the email. That's how I know right. you heard the announcement. You showed up. But like, so this is where it gets very important for us for your for yourselves yeah um because we are in a very similar point within our churches um and we're both pulling the trigger on elders mm-hmm. so and <laughs> i announced on sunday in our in our i announced this in our service on sunday and i said hey at the risk of over like i could easily overshare like we got the book of church order, the BOCO, there's chapters on this entire process and there's commentary too. But at, so I'm not going to overshare. Um, instead, I don't say check your emails because, and so at the risk of undersharing, check your emails right now. Um, yeah. Just because like the, like there's going to be an FAQ, there's going to be a lot of information coming. But so there's, how do you know that you successfully communicated? Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. And like, so, um, and it's depressing. And hey, listeners, if you hear this, um, I'm Josh. Do you use Mailchimp? I do. Okay, so Mailchimp has an open rate within churches where the average like rate is that only every other person opens uh, church emails. So open your emails. Um, that's one way we know that uh, this is what we're talking about: digital metrics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
just again, it's just like you make a community, you communicate something. How do you know? And like all like, so here's the picture to our listeners that our tools within our toolbox don't fit. Yeah. And the answer, however, um, isn't to say, Hey, let's just go do like, for lack of a better word, um, cityhope.tv. Right, or ironworks.tv. Right. We're not just saying, hey, we're only going to move exclusively to a digital platform. Or like, hey, we're going to like create like this into massive digital platform. Um, it would be cool if we could do some of that, to be honest. But at the same time, it's like we – an effective sin is disembodied community. Mm-hmm. And – we need the the family and the body and uh, the family of God and the body of Christ, and uh, so it's just one of those new challenges is just figuring out how to yeah. lean into this moment, just for all the reasons why you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So, but hey, um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you very specifically because you recently had like a congregational meeting and you put together a slide basically saying like, Hey, what does our church life look like right now? Yeah. Um, can you like, can you share that a bit with yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this actually was brought to, uh, the idea of having, um, a series of member meetings was brought by one of our members, um, which is great. Cause that, you know, I just didn't think of it. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was like, Hey, we should talk. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, um, which is awesome. So, um, but so we, I wanted to lay out for folks kind of what are our priorities moving forward. So we laid out, hey, we, we, we're and we're using language of refresh, not replan. Um, like we need to refresh our vision. We need to refresh the way we do things. We need to think about these things. And so we wanted to look at okay priorities on a on a spectrum from private to public. So your life is both private and public, and and you need to have priorities on those. And we're going to start with one, we need to look to our hope. Um, And so there there are four priorities, um, and they're all, I'm a good Presbyterian, so they all start with L, but I'm a bad Presbyterian, so there's only four, or there's four instead of three. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so look to our hope. Uh, In the midst of this, it's going to be really easy for us, as you were talking too, like, to go back to metrics that we've always used, whether that's size of our congregation, uh, number of people attending worship, our financial position, number of members, any metric that you can use in church planting, we're going to be tempted to do it. We have to look to our hope. Like Jesus, do we really believe that Jesus is king of the church? He's the head, he's doing it. And that might mean that we're slim and it's hard and we have to go to meeting from home to home or whatever, right? Like literally everything's on the table. If we look to our hope, like that priority has to be there. Um, so, so the pandemic is exposing ways in which we've hoped in other things, uh, both personally and as a church, those things are being stripped away. We've got to look to our hope. Um, the second is live with God. Um, Again, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier of like your daily liturgies. Like what does your daily rhythm look like? That's who you are. What you do daily um, is what you do in a lifetime. Um, Those little habits that we have developed that are negative and those habits that we haven't developed that are positive to help us live with God. We have to prioritize those things because as stuff ramps up, 
and things reopen and all that stuff starts to happen, we're going to be tempted to go back to business as usual. Um, and it's even interesting the way our country is seeking to go back to business as usual. Right. So like our answer for everything is stimulate the economy by buying more stuff. Um, and maybe it's like, Hey, maybe some of that is bankrupt and it's not going to work. Like we can't just buy our way out of things. Um, and so we should maybe think about, you know, re-envisioning what, uh, life looks like and Hey, maybe happiness isn't found in the accumulation of stuff or in productivity, or in, uh, you know, getting to the next level, whatever it is, um, but actually in caring for one another, and in sharing uh, our resources with another, and, and all of those things. So, so what does it look like to live with God? And, and that really is based upon these habits of uh, solitude, and silence before God, getting away in prayer, and devouring God's word. Um, and then next would be a uh, priority of life together. And so this is where it starts to shift into the public sphere. Um, and these, these two life together. And then the fourth being love neighbor. Um, all of this is nothing new, right? This is like basic. It's like, uh, this is, this is as basic one-on-one Christianity as you can get, uh, which is what we need. But also those two, the life together and, and love neighbor are the things that I'm like, I have no idea what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it looks like to gather. I don't know what it looks like for us to do life together. That's why it's a priority for us to think through that we build this into it. Um, how do we gather together? How do we uh, care for one another? How do we uh, create new systems of, of making sure we're all being cared for in the midst of that? Um, making sure we're still, uh, you know, going after mercy needs within our congregation and outside of our congregation. Um, and, and then at the same time, right? Like here's, how we've been talking about it a little bit, like how do you plant a church in the midst of pandemic revolution, right? We're also experiencing this like massive new civil rights uh, conversation um, that deals a lot with justice and race and policing and all of those things. That's another huge piece of this that's happening at the same time. And so how we love neighbor is another big piece of that. How you enter into that conversation while being fatigued, with a pandemic, yeah. how you enter yeah. into that conversation and how you enter into that as a white majority culture person and as, uh, as a person of color entering into that conversation in an additional fatigue that you've always felt when it comes to racial things. Like that's a whole nother thing. Right. And so <laughs> do life together and care about those things. And then also what it looks like for us to love neighbor and say, Hey, the church has gotten this wrong a ton. Let's, let's not do that again. Well, Josh, I want to say thank you for your time for joining uh, me today for this little conversation. Yeah. Thanks man for having me. Super fun. <laughs> sure. thing. Thank you for joining me today on let the sparks fly. Uh, next week we have an eight. An incredible episode with Pastor Lance Lewis, who is a black pastor in California, as we discuss so many things uh, about our current cultural moment. But you can do yourself a favor to ensure that you do not miss out on this episode, and that is by subscribing uh, to this podcast at wherever you listen to your podcast. So thank you once again for joining me tonight.